If you're watching online, welcome. Uh, we're glad you're with us. Uh, this morning is Father's Day. And uh, on these uh, kind of holidays, we uh, usually uh, take a break from our verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter. We've been in the book of Acts. And so this morning, uh, if you have your Bibles, would you come with me to Ephesians chapter 5? And uh, I'll give you even a title for the message this morning. Uh, it's Walking in God's Design uh, for Marriage, Family, and Life. So Walking in God's Design. And let's pray together, and then we'll begin our study this morning. Father, we thank you for uh, gathering us together as a family this morning. And while we do lift up our, our brother Chris and the Smiths and pray, Lord, that you'd bless them and let your healing rest upon them. And I pray, Lord, this morning that as we celebrate Father's Day and um, kind of do a little bit of reflection on culture and how to respond to the culture of our day, I pray, Lord, that you would equip us uh, to be your ambassadors, to be uh, Christ's ambassadors to our world and our day, I pray in, in Jesus' name, amen. So um, one of the things that's on a pastor's uh, kind of menu is, is humble pie. And humble pie is a very, uh, it, it's got a bitter taste to it, but it, it does produce good things in your heart when you, when you take a bite or two. And so this morning's teaching is a, is a little bit of me eating humble pie. <laughs> um, and and I, I hope uh, it benefits me, which I know it will, but I hope it, it would help uh, you navigate uh, what's happening in our, in our culture right now. Uh, for the last... Oh, two or three years, um, I've been like personally battling how to engage people that are like I disagree with, and how to engage people that um, are are adversarial uh, towards me, and uh, it's been a it's been a challenging go at it. I've I found, and I, I want you to know I'm in process on this, so I'm working on it. I, I haven't arrived. I think some of you might be able to identify with what I'm about to say. But I think that in my heart, um, I've, I've been gripped with fear at, at times. Fear about the topics, fear about uh, the, the potential fracturing of relationships, uh, fear about not being um, a good Christian, uh, fear uh, not being a good ambassador for Christ in my family or in my community. And, and what I found in my own life is that when that fear grips my heart, I have uh, really uh, a couple default behaviors which, which are, are not helpful. Uh, one is that I just try to remove the person from my environment. And uh, one of my favorite um, way, ways of doing that is to, is to shun them. In other words, 
don't give them any time, don't give them any space, don't answer their emails. And it's, it's been helpful for me, <laughs> you know, to kind of get them off my, uh, off my uh, screen. Uh, but I don't think it's been, been the right thing to do. Um, the second uh, behavior that, I, that I've used is to, is to attack them. In other words, I'm a Bible guy, you know, it's kind of like, quote, don't you know who I am? And, and, and really um, go, go after them uh, biblically. And what I found is that that's not really produced good fruit in my own heart. It's not, it's not produced peace. It's not produced joy. Um, it's really not, not allowed me to have any opportunity uh, to, to minister to them because I push them, push them out. And it, it's, it's never received well when you're attacked by a religious person. You know, they kind of label me as, my, my best friend's name's Joe, so I, I can't be Holy Joe, but, but whole, you know, Holy Eddie, you know, that, that you, you, you repel people rather than, than attract them. And so um, what I've been trying to choose is a more biblical approach. And so I asked myself the question, and maybe you do too if you, you're in that, in that uh, kind of soup. Ask the question, does the Bible help me? Does the Bible inform me of how to respond to uh, a, a culture that, that I find um, in, in some ways uh, offensive, distressing, depraved, as you could easily see, I could go on, but I'll spare you the rest of them. Um, and, and of course, the answer to that is that God's word, um, 2 Timothy 3.16, God's word prepares us and equips us for every good work. And, and when I open my heart to the Lord, at least Ephesians, are the, let me be more specific, the church environment that Paul found at Ephesus was informative to me. It, it informed my, my head, and, and, and I like to believe that um, it's shaping my heart in, in a different way. And when we look at the church at Ephesus and look at the historical context of Ephesus, Paul uh, came into a a critical place, Ephesus, was a major city of, of commerce and, and trade, but it, was a, but it was a culture in conflict when Christianity came into it. Not only was it in cultural conflict in and of itself, but when Christianity came in, it caused a, a cauldron and we're working through the book of Acts. When we get to Acts chapter 19, you're going to see that. That there was such a brouhaha that they took Paul and brought him into the uh, 
open-air theater in, in Ephesus. And if you think Ephesus is a podunk town, you're wrong. The open-air theater in Ephesus sat 25,000 people. They brought Paul into that. And, and they're all screaming at Paul, glory to Diana, our, our glory to Atremes. And they're all like in a frenzy, in a frenzy when, when Paul was there. And so in Ephesus, we see the extremes of secular culture coming together. One, the Greek and particularly the Roman culture that was infused into the community of Ephesus was a patriarchal culture. And, and if you know what a patriarchal culture is, is if we could boil it down to one, maybe a couple words, it, it is like dad rules. And on Father's Day, that works for me. But when in Roman society, life and death was in the hands of the, of the father. Women were simply tools in men's hands, primarily occupied with household, uh, house, household issues and raising children, infanticide, abortion, divorce, rampant in Roman culture. That was one extreme that existed in Ephesus. The second extreme was uh, uh, matriarchy, where women ruled, and they worshipped a fertility goddess, and men were emasculated and brought into temple worship, literally emasculated. And so you see these two extremes operating in Ephesus. And so the question that I want to drill down on is, what did Paul or how did Paul instruct the people to live in the midst of that? Because I think you could extrapolate a little bit from those extremes and see in our own culture some of those extremes that you know, exists especially during the month of June where they take down POW flags that honor the military and replace it with other type of flags. It's offensive to me. And so how did, how did Paul instruct God's people when he's in prison the letter to the Ephesians was written in about 62 AD. How did Paul instruct the people to live? And what was the remedy that Paul drilled down on? Because what Paul did, it changed the whole culture. Matter of fact, it spread throughout the whole known world and changed the entire culture within a few hundred years. Like, I'd like to get in touch with that. Because my, my, my default behavior, I thought it worked for me. It doesn't really work for me. And it doesn't really work for the gospel. So what is it, Lord? And that's where I land 
in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Throughout Ephesians chapter 5, we'll have some time to camp on a few of these things. But the first one is found in the first verse. What's the remedy when facing a culture that's polarized? What's the remedy or what's the intervention that we, sh that I'll just keep it personal, that Ed needs to, to, to grow in? Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The thing that needs to shape my own heart is agape, a sacrificial disposition towards people that are contrary to biblical truth. It is, it is beyond reason. And yet the, the, the kingdom, Jesus says, is to love your enemies. They ask him, what is the greatest commandment? He goes, love God. I wish Jesus stopped there. Because I can love God. And he doesn't stop there. He says, love God and, and do what? You know it. Say it with me. It'll be convicting. L love your neighbor. I don't like my neighbors sometimes. I don't particularly care for their, their disposition towards a lot of things right now. And then, and then Jesus, he just, he's just a heart wrecker. He doesn't stop there. He says, love God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I love myself. Oh, I love me. I love me. I am, me, myself, and I are Trinitarian in nature. And we love each other. But that's not Philippians chapter 2. That's not the servant, sacrificial servant. That's not the mind that's supposed to be my mind. See, fear propels. Fear pushes away. Fear causes, causes us to hate, and fear causes us to, to push people out of our sphere. And fear is not being filled with the Spirit. 1 John 4, 18 says this. If you know it, say it with me. Perfect love casts out fear. That's the gospel. That's the transformational work of Christ in a person's heart. Is that we have been so loved by God, so accepted by God, so filled with his spirit that we stand in confident assurance that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, and therefore, out of that abundance, we can love people without attacking them and shunning them. And believe me with all my heart, it is 
I, I, am, I am not there. Just cut me off at Drum Hill. If I'm in, if I'm in my car, which is a 2011 CRV with 200,000 plus miles, <laughs> I really won't do much. I, I will try. I'll put that thing to the, put the gas pedal to the to the to the floor. Hopefully, it doesn't go through the floor. <laughs> and then I count to five, and it goes room. <laughs> but if I'm driving Nancy's car, watch out. See, culture was changed by a change in the hearts of the people. Our culture is not going to be changed by whether you vote Republican or Democrat or the no, no name tag ticket, whatever they are. I'll give you an illustration. Where is the moral majority in Jerry Farwell today? Where are they? I can't find them. When that whole thing was going on, I had a visit from the Champsford Republican Committee, and they said I was a very godly man, and they were standing with me. And can we please have your mailing list? What do you think my response was? <laughs> no. <laughs> Because I'm an ambassador of Christ. And so when we look at the scriptures and we look at, at Paul's shaping and molding the hearts of God's people that transform the culture, the heart that was transformed was the believer's heart, and it was transformed by the love of Christ so that they could love other people. Paul goes on in chapter 5. He says this in verse 3. He says, But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness uh, not even be named among you. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking. None of that. And so the second thing we see from the text is Paul says to put off the old man. Right? We could hop over to uh, chapter 4, verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. So there's that putting, second thing, that putting off and putting on, stepping into who we are in Christ. And that's a choice. Come on, Jesus. Love your enemies. Pray for those who just despicably use me. Pray for them. It's a radical gospel. And the radical gospel changed the world. Oh, that's some Baptist preaching there, boy. My I think I should this. My first pastor was this. He wouldn't like this description. You look like a like a whiskey bottle, a whiskey barrel with like two little limbs and two limbs, and he used to shake his leg like that. Do you mind if I do that every once in a while? <laughs> no, I do. The radical nature of the gospel is what transformed the culture. That's what did it. 
God's people, being God's people, being transformed and shaped into Christ-likeness. Paul goes on, he says, he says, the, he says in uh, verse 7, Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible in light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper. Verse 15, Look carefully how then you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. To put off the things of the flesh. To choose to put on the righteousness of Christ. And to walk in purity and holiness and godliness because that is our destiny. Romans 8.29. The destiny that we have is to be conformed and perfected in Christ. What is the remedy to a culture that goes off the rails? Is that, do we go off the rails with them? Do we lose our mind with them? Do we, do we get so angry we're foaming at the mouth and dripping on our shirts? Of course not. Is that, that perfect love that casts out fear, that rules and is the umpire of, of our heart. Thirdly, when we look at the text, it says in verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we're baptized when we come to faith in Christ, that salvation, we're baptized into his body, but the imperative here is, is, is continuous in nature. It's being filled. Lord, fill me with your spirit. And the imperative is even more important for New Englanders. Let it inform, let, let, let it inform my face that I could be joy-filled, that I could be singing. I, I ain't singing. I pray, well, maybe I'll praise the Lord once. <laughs> that the fullness of the Holy Spirit is visible in our hearts and lives. And so when our neighbors see us utterly broken, they see hope. When our neighbors see us in despair, they see us on our knees. When our neighbors know that all is lost in our life, they know that faith in Christ is resolute. To be like Christ, to put on, to put off, to put on, to be filled, 
Look at the next one with me. Verse 21. Submitting. <laughs> men, men don't like this at all. We, we need some, some whiteout. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This word for submission is hupotasso. It was a Greek military term meaning to arrange troop divisions in military fashion under the command of a leader. In non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. And then Paul is going to illustrate what that looks like. Not in an egalitarian manner in marriage and family, but in a complementary manner in marriage and family. Because God's ultimate design was to send Christ, the second Adam, to restore what existed in the garden. And Paul says, if you, want to know, if you want to know what mutual submission looks like, look to the family. It's Father's Day. It was a convenient, I have to be honest, it was a convenient excuse to address this issue of culture. But it's so applicable that there's mutual submission which has nothing to do with status and importance and everything to do with the, with, the, with the demonstration and the visible transformation that happens in a heart that is committed to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and that is filled with the Spirit. Take a look at it with me. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Notice the operative word there. Not to every man, to her own husband, and then qualified with what? As unto, unto the Lord. The Lord's character, his nature, his disposition. Wives, submit, your, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ as the, is the head of the church. And we're going to find that that's not based in culture, that's based in original design. That's based, we're going to get to the text, that's based on creation order. That's based upon the nature and character of the Trinity, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working together in harmony to accomplish purpose. Mutual submission was one of the key things that changed the entire world. Why? Because everybody knows what selfishness looks like. I'm an expert in it. Nancy goes to me the other day, you're being selfish. No, I'm not. You're being angry. No way. <laughs> we easily go there. We know it well. But an unselfish family? Go back to the historical context with me for a minute. Patriarchal society, a, a man that serves his wife. Blew their mind. 
a husband and wife that care, serve, love their daughters. Of course they love their sons in that society. But valued, loved, cared for their daughters? Yes. A culture across the Greco-Roman world, over 50% slaves found grace, and it changed the world. Mutual submission changed the world? Yes. Come back to the text. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything in their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify cleansed, washing in the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, no spot, no wrinkle, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. (laughs) Guys, we do know that, don't we? Yes. Marriage, family, community, not driven by culture, but driven by creation order, driven by God's design, so people could flourish. Come back to the text with me. Verse 31. Genesis chapter 2. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God has a design. He has a creation order. God has a plan. And that plan is to save people one at a time. And that plan is... Those people that get saved become the church in a local setting. And that local setting is designed to certainly nurture and care and disciple and educate the saints, but it's to change the world. That's our job. Christ working through us for his glory to change the world. And our unbelievable joy to participate in that. Happy Father's Day. Amen? Let's have Ben come and we can prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's table this morning.